0: This is chapter 120 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherenkovich. This week, we highlight a trio of authors in the biggest selling genre in the book industry, romance. Plus, we bid farewell to summer with the last of our beach reads. According to the Romance Writers of America, the romance fiction industry is worth just over a billion, with a B, dollars a year. That's more books than the mystery novels and science fiction genres combined. And I know what you're thinking. You're picturing those cheesy covers from the 80s, right? Well, stop. What defines real-life romance has come a long way since then, and so too has the romance novel. Take, for instance, Jasmine Guillory. Her take on modern dating and finding love has landed her on the bestsellers list more than once, And her latest book, The Wedding Party, was named one of the hottest books of the summer by several media outlets, including this one. It's one of this week's speech reads. She told me all about the enemies to lovers romance.
1: The wedding party is the story of Maddie and Theo. Um, Maddie and Theo have the same best friend, Alexa. They are both in her wedding party. They have never liked each other, um, but now they are thrown together a lot, and they keep accidentally sleeping together, and then uh, throughout the book, they kind of figure out that there's a little something more.
0: I think there's something really fun about watching two people who you know can't stand each other fall for each other, even though you want to shake them sometimes and just be like, come on!
1: (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy that too. I think it's fun to see the things that people initially thought they didn't like about someone and they realized that that might be one of their favorite things about the other person.
0: This is not the first time you've written about weddings. Why do you like to write about them?
1: I think weddings are so fascinating. I think they bring out so many emotions in people. They're one of the only times in your life that you're inviting all of these people from different walks of life together. And so you know, you're excited, you're in love, you're thrilled to share this moment, but you're also really stressed. Um, And I think people who go to weddings kind of take in some of that emotion with them when they go to the weddings. They're excited, um, you know, they want to see these people that they like fall in love, but they're also kind of feeling heightened emotion about everything. And I think it leads to so many great moments that you can put into fiction.
0: And and you've definitely put some of those stories in there. Was there anything that that you did in writing this book that is it is it all made up or is it stuff that you've experienced going to weddings?
1: I mean, for the most part, it's fiction. There are definitely some things that I've been in a lot of weddings. Um, I've been a bridesmaid a bunch of times. So there are definitely some small moments that friends of mine might recognize. Um, But most of those are little. I think, you know, a lot of what I put in there that I've experienced is not specific incidents that happened, but just the emotions around them when people were, you know, Saw all of this happening and kind of thought like I might want that too, or um, ha- you know, got upset about something small. Like all of that can happen as a part of a wedding.
0: And I don't think there's any bride out there or anyone who's ever been with a bride when she's gone dress shopping that won't relate to that particular scene in this book.
1: Well, I've also been dress shopping with a lot of brides. <laughs> so that, that that definitely helped um, me write the, the dress shopping scene in this book.
0: So fans of yours already know Maddie and Theo and they're friends from your first two books. Did you always intend to write this sort of trio and have it end with Drew and Alexa's wedding?
1: You know, I didn't exactly. I mean, when I wrote The Wedding Date... I, The Wedding Day was my first book, and so I certainly had ideas um, about what I wanted to do, but I didn't know anything that would happen. You know, I I certainly was hopeful that I would get to do this, but I'm really thrilled that I was able to and that I feel like it ended um, just in the way I wanted it to.
0: So this is really the end of the road for this particular group of friends then?
1: Um, You know, a little bit, but I do have... Another book, Royal Holiday, coming out in October, which is about Maddie's mom, um, who you meet in in the wedding party, and Maddie plays a, bit, a little bit of a role in that book as well. So you do you'll you will see some of the characters again, but not quite as intensely as in the first three books.
0: I love Maddie's mom, so I can't wait for that.
1: Oh, good! I'm so glad. I love her too.
0: So you've had a, a hugely positive response from readers, uh, whether it's about the diversity of your characters. Also, the the role that food plays in your books. What's the best compliment you've received?
1: You know, one of the best compliments I've ever received um, from a reader was actually just the other day I was at. Um, a book signing, and a reader told me that she and her family had had a lot of difficult moments lately. somebody in her family was having um, some big health problems, and she she was reading my books, and they just um, made her feel better about everything that she needed a break from how difficult life was, and it made her feel better and That just like warmed my heart, partly because one of the reasons that I got into reading romance was because I was going through something difficult, and I was reading these books to make myself feel like everything was going to be okay. And so it felt so good that someone else um, did that with my books.
0: Now, this being romance, there are, of course, sex scenes, quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. And I love, though, that it's never that ravishing, ripped bodices, cliche that you always find in in some romance novels.
1: You know, I think... (laughs) I mean, what I want to do with sex scenes in books is that I want to make them feel true to the characters involved, Um, and so, like, there's a scene early on in The Wedding Party where both of them are sort of like, are we actually going to do this? And Maddie just throws off her dress and says, let's go. And that that I kind of love because that's very true to her character. Um, and I want, you know, I want the things that come out in the sex scenes to make you recognize who these people really are. And that I feel like I did well in The Wedding Party.
0: Yeah, they're so much fun. And you, you really do... You really get a sense for who these people are. And I I also relate totally with the whole wanting to stay home and eat pizza and watch bad reality TV. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned a little bit what your next book is coming up. Do you have anything else beyond that that readers can look forward to?
1: Um, you know, I'm starting to work on something else, but it's very new. <laughs> um so I am excited to to introduce Royal Holiday to the world and then hopefully um next year we'll get something new from me.
0: And will they all have these great fun covers that, you know, are just so eye popping and so eye catching?
1: I love my covers so much. I, you know, all, all credit for those goes to the wonderful art, art department um, at my publisher at Berkeley. They have done an incredible job with the covers. I love that the cover for The Wedding Party is actually sparkly. Um, <laughs> it's so fun. But they have really done a great job in making the covers seem like fun and exciting and eye-catching. But they also really work for the characters in the book. You know, I look at the covers and they um, say what the book is about to me, which makes a big difference, I think.
0: All right. So I think everyone needs to run out there and pick up the wedding party. Jasmine Guillory, thank you so much for spending some time and talking to us about it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, let's keep the wedding theme going. Our next Beatree takes a unique approach to a common wedding problem. Who to bring if you're single? Now, there's nothing wrong with going solo. I've done that twice this summer. But what's a girl to do if her mom is really, really pressuring her to bring someone? Well... If she's a top-notch robotics engineer, she builds herself the perfect boyfriend. At least that's what happens in The Plus One. I spoke with author Sarah Archer. Your protagonist, Kelly, does what I think a lot of women dream of doing, and that's create the perfect man. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about The Plus One?
2: Sure, so The Plus One is a romantic comedy, but it has a little bit of a sci-fi twist to it. And the protagonist is a young woman named Kelly, um, and she's a robotics engineer working in Silicon Valley. And Kelly loves her job. Um, she's very good at it. She's very smart, but her personal life is a whole different story. So she's kind of awkward, kind of self-conscious. Um, she's always single, and her mom never really forgets, lets her forget about that. Um, her mother runs a bridal boutique for a living, so she has these very traditional ideas about uh, love, where you you know you find the perfect person, you settle down, you get married, you have kids, you do all of it before you're thirty. And so she and Kelly don't quite see eye to eye on that. And uh, when Kelly's younger sister is getting married, her mom tells her in no uncertain terms she has to find a date for the wedding. So that starts off Kelly's quest to find her plus one. And she does kind of the typical things, trying to meet people in bars, looking online, that sort of thing. Um, all of her efforts fail spectacularly. So she does the obvious thing and she builds a date. <laughs> she builds Ethan, who is her perfect robotic boyfriend. And um, he is a robot, but he looks and moves and talks just like a human. So she's able to actually pass him off as her real boyfriend and nobody is any the wiser. And so that's great. You know, she has her wedding date. Her crazy scheme has actually worked. Um, But then things get a little complicated because Kelly actually starts to develop real feelings for Ethan. And so on the one hand, she's falling for him. She doesn't want to get rid of him. Um, But on the other hand, trying to keep the secret of who he really is and where he came from is really threatening to destroy everything else in her life. Um, if people at work find out that he's a robot and that she uh, built him using company materials, she could lose her job. If people in her personal life find out, she'll be humiliated. So she's kind of caught between these two opposing forces. And that's, that's where the story kicks off.
0: I love that one of the characters in the book describes everything that's going on as a two real life bad lifetime movie, which is <laughs> It really is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's one of those stories that um, you—it's almost kind of a stranger than fiction sort of thing where you wouldn't expect it to happen. But I—I I could imagine that someday it will, probably in the not too distant future. <laughs> um, I think we'll get there as as we're developing more and more advanced robots and people are are bringing them into their lives in more intimate ways um, and, and really connecting with them. I think there—you're already starting to see people who. Want this sort of a, a relationship with a machine, and that's very interesting to me.
0: You admit to being more of a humanities person than a science person. What kind of deep mm-hmm. dive into AI and robotics did you have to do to get the details of Ethan right?
2: Oh well, that was that was really fascinating for me to look into. Um, like you said, I am definitely a humanities person. I was an English major. Um, I really know nothing about robotics, so it did require some research, and um, some of it was just you know going on Google, looking at journal articles, that sort of thing. I did also uh, speak to a few different um, engineers and product designers and interviewed them about their work, which was really interesting to be able to talk to them about, you know, what do their days look like? How do they do market research and and conceive of a product and bring it out to consumers? How do they work in teams? Uh, What does an engineer love about his or her job? Or what are the challenges that he faces? Um, And also talking about some of the more kind of esoteric things of AI philosophy and questions about, do robots have rights? You know, should we give them legal citizenship if they're of a certain level of intelligence? Um, You know, how should we treat them? Can robots think? Can they love? Can they make choices? Those sorts of questions. Um, So that was really interesting to look into. And, you know, you could could write a thousand books (laughs) with all the information out there about AI. So I definitely had to limit myself. And I wanted this to be very much Kelly's story and her journey as a human person in her career and in her relationships. Um, so I had to keep a lot of that research out of the book and just bring in what was really relevant to her journey. But man, it was it was fascinating. And I think there are a lot of different versions of the story that could have been told. Um, I went with the kind of romantic comedy version, but you could do a dark dystopian version. You could do something much more dramatic. You could do something that was much more focused on the science and the sci-fi aspect of it. Um, so that was really interesting for me to think about.
0: It's definitely a very fun, laugh out loud read rather than ponder the end of humanity kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, which was intentional. (laughs) I I definitely had those moments in my research where I'm I'm going down the spiral and I'm wondering like, oh, gosh, (laughs) when is the end coming? (laughs) But you don't quite get there in the book.
0: So let's go back to Kelly's story. Now, did her, you know, um, her outlook on life, the way she views life, did this whole thing where she goes and creates this, this perfect man, did it stem from any sort of real life restoration with dating?
2: You know, not not for me personally. Um, my my lovely husband would <laughs> I'm sure be happy to hear that. <laughs> but I think it's something that, you know probably almost all of us can relate to at some level, that idea of of trying to find the right person. And sometimes you might think, oh, wouldn't it be easier if I could just build someone who's exactly what I want. And, um, but I think there are pitfalls in that, in in that idea of trying too closely to engineer what you're looking for. Um, That was really something that I was trying to explore in the novel was taking that almost like the traditional romantic comedy paradigm and turning it on its head a bit where instead of the stereotypical rom-com heroine who is unlucky in love and always single and just waiting for Mr. Right to show up. You have someone who takes the power into your own hands and builds someone and decides, I'm just going to design exactly what I want. Um, And I think with the way technology has progressed these days, a lot of us can probably relate to that. You know, you don't have to just wait to meet the right person through organic means in your real life. You can go online. You can search on dating sites or Tinder or wherever, and you can meet. Billions of people from all over the world, and you can, you know, even if you can't go to the extent of building a robotic partner um, and programming him to be what you want, you can put in your search terms on a dating site, and you can kind of design your own match and look for for exactly what you think you want and you think you need. But I think sometimes what we think we want and what we think we need is not always what's really best for us. And I think there's a certain magic that you lose when you're trying too hard to determine the course of your life and the course of your relationships. And so that was something that I wanted Kelly to reckon with in the book is that idea of designing your perfect match versus kind of letting life take you in places that you wouldn't expect it to.
0: And I think also there's something to be said about, I get the feeling that there's this lesson that real friends, real relationships Relationships are important no matter how messy they can be.
2: Yes, for sure, because um, that's where you grow. You know, if, if things are perfect, then you're not really moving forward. And so for Kelly in building her perfect man, there are things, of course, that are great about that, um, but she also starts to struggle with it as the story goes on, as she gets into a deeper relationship with Ethan, whereas in contrast, her human relationships in the book tend to be pretty fraught um, with her friends and family. but. Even though there are struggles there and it can be painful and it can be embarrassing at times, you know, she, she loves those people and she does grow in
0: those relationships. What do you want readers to take away?
2: Um, well, I would love readers, first of all, just to have a good time with it. It's a comedy. You know, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be thought-provoking. Um but I would love readers to think about their own relationships and how they relate to people in their lives in light of this idea of building your perfect person and engineering a match um, versus kind of letting life take the leads and, and seeing where it takes you and who you can meet. And, you know, maybe they'll approach their relationships in a different way or have a the appreciation for people in their lives through
0: reading that. Stop being a control freak is what you're saying.
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> in so many words. <laughs> I think that's a lesson that um, sometimes I could take, and I'm sure a lot of us could as well.
0: <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs> you know, I have to ask, do you think with all that research you did, you might now write a book about AI and robotics that goes in the completely opposite direction?
2: I could, for sure. Um, I, my, my next book is definitely not in that world, which has been good to take a little bit of a breather for it. but. I've got so many ideas. Um, and I, I wrote a short film years ago that was also about a super intelligent robot, and that one was much darker. Um, and so I, I think there, there's an endless well to draw from there, and I'm sure I'll come back to the topic at some point.
0: We've been talking with Sarah Archer. The book is The Plus One. Thank you for taking some time and talking to us about this.
2: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: Author Jeannie Moon says the only real requirement for a romance novel is the happily ever after or happy right now ending. And she aims to deliver with the latest installment of her Compass Cove series. We recently spoke about the book and why she loves to write romance novels.
3: The book All of Me is book three in the Compass Cove series. And it's set on the north shore of Long Island where I grew up. I pretty much made a composite of several of the towns um, in and around the Huntington area, so probably about an hour outside the city. Um, And all of me focuses on Lily Vasquez, who is a former Hollywood hairstylist. Um, She's come home to Compass Cove after having a really rough time um, with a boyfriend who was abusive. And she had to leave. Um, It was the way she felt as though she had to deal with it. Um, And in coming back, she makes connections again with all the people who she grew up with and cared about, including Jack Miller, um, who was her longtime crush and um, is uh, now... um, an FBI agent who has made some discoveries about the case that she was involved in. Um, But Jack has kind of appointed himself as her um, guardian in this. Um, You know, it's, it's a classic trope um, in a sense. It's the forced proximity Um, trope where, you know, you don't necessarily want to be around each other, but you kind of have to be, um, and that allows their feelings to redevelop. But really what this book is all about is finding your place. One of the central themes of Compass Cove is the idea that you find your true north, um, that you find the place that uh, calls you home, and where you find that love and security that I think we all innately desire. Um, and that's really what it centers around. So um, each of the books has that at the center of their of their story, the idea of finding your your place, and then everything builds around that. So,
0: and I know you mentioned that you grew up on Long Island, but is that I whole did. idea the reason why you set the books there, as opposed? I mean, as a writer, you really could have gone anywhere in the yes. world.
3: Yes, and initially the series was set in the Pacific Northwest. Um, years ago when I first started fleshing it out, and I sent the first book, which became Then Came You, to a good friend of mine who's a very successful author, and she was mentoring me at the time, and she read it, and she said, I love it, but something's missing. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I think your characters are looking at the wrong ocean. (laughs) She said, these are East Coast characters. This is this is New Englandy. This is East Coast. She goes, "There's not a lot there." She goes, "Why don't you bring them home?" She said, "And I think you're going to find you're missing what you know, some what you're missing in the book." And I I took a look at it, and what it really did was it forced me to have another look at where I live. And where I grew up and where my father grew up. And, you know, we have very deep roots in this community here. And um, it brought me a whole new appreciation for the place I've lived my whole life and where I raised my children. And it's, it was a really wonderful thing. And it did bring a level of emotion and familiarity to the stories that I think set it apart from the typical small-town romance. A lot of small town romance is set in the Pacific Northwest and the Midwest in the United States, and then there's the Southern small town, which is its own own animal. But this is something very different. Um, Long Island had never really been dealt with in most in, in romance novels. At least people thought we were all about, you know, we had the twangy accents, and we have, you know, the Hamptons or you know, some more, you know, maybe they think, oh, you had Joey Buttafuoco or whatever. And I was like, ah, that's not what we're all about.
0: (laughs) So there's also, I think, this idea that lots of Long Island is just an extension of the city.
3: Exactly, exactly. And it's not. And so much of when I tell people, I go, you don't understand. I go, if I leave my house and drive five minutes north, I said, I'm at a beach. I said, If I drive 25 minutes south, I'm at the ocean. I said, if I drive an hour east, I can be in a vineyard. I said, if I go an hour west, I'm in the city. I said, but it's its own animal. I said, in every single, it's made up of all these little communities. And that's what people forget. Um, And I think Long Islanders forget that too even if we don't have a central main street hometown, like I, my friends in Comac would say, yeah, but I don't really have a a hometown, like a, a main street. And I was like, no, but you have your schools, you have your soccer leagues, you have your PTAs, you have, you know, your, your baseball leagues. I said, these are all small communities. I said, and they're the ones that make up, you know, who you are, what you care about. I said, and that's what you have to focus on. So, even if you don't have that traditional little town, you still have that community, and that's what Long Island is made up of. And it's it's I think we forget that sometimes, um, and that's what I wanted to bring home to everybody is that we're we are each other's family, and we have a very unique experience here. So,
0: so Compass Cove, as you mentioned, is made of a composite of all these little towns. But is there right. anything? true to life that exists there?
3: Yeah, I actually threw Oyster Bay off the map. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I teased because I worked in Oyster Bay for a little while. I was a teacher at St. Dominic High School and, um, and in the 90s. And um, what I loved was there's really only one big road that goes into Oyster Bay. It's very far north. It's right on the water. So if you look at how Compass Cove, if I could draw you a map of it, it would look very similar to downtown Oyster Bay. But then I bring in other pieces, like I bring in pieces of Northport, like a sweet shop, or I bring in, um, I, I actually mentioned something that, um, a, a little shop in Cold Spring Harbor that I love, the Gourmet Whaler. Um, it's It's a wonderful cafe, bakery, and I actually mentioned it in one of my books and um, the proprietor, Denise, is absolutely a lovely, wonderful people, wonderful person. And um, yeah, so I do bring in little pieces, but the layout of the town, if you were, if I were to draw you a map, it would look very similar to Oyster Bay. Um, I mentioned a park in one of the books and it's pretty much identical to Theodore Roosevelt Park in Oyster Bay.
0: So if people want to go trace the footsteps of your characters, yes, yeah, they, they want where to, go, to go. They can
3: go traipsing around. I can tell you where to go look for these things. Yes, <laughs> absolutely.
0: So, what first? If people d-
3: looked at the FAQs on my website, they would probably be able to. They they would find some of those answers.
0: What first drew you to write romance novels?
3: I was a romance reader from the time I was a teenager. Um, my aunt used to give me her old Harlequins and and silhouette romances. And, uh, you know, when I would go visit her, she'd pack a little little paper bag with me and I'd send them home. Um, I think I was always just drawn to the hopefulness. Um, the, the, the center of a romance novel is that there's a, um, the, the really the only requirement is that it ends happily, that there's a mutually satisfying and optimistic ending. Emotionally, that there's emotional satisfaction for the reader. It's what we call the HEA, the Happily Ever After, or the HFN, the Happy for Now. Um, you find those more in um, the young adult romances because we're not going to necessarily attach a Happily Ever After to a 17 year old. <laughs> um, but what I loved about them was that I could escape into them. And I've always wanted to write, I've always been a writer. Um, I wrote when I was a teenager. I wrote as a journalist when I was in uh, college. Um, I ultimately became a teacher. Um, I teach writing now. (laughs) Um, Even as a librarian, I still do that. So it was something I always felt drawn to do. But I love romances because I think they give people hope. And I think they give them hope and happiness in the times that are the most difficult. Um, For example, when my dad died in 2012, I I got through the summer, and he had had a long illness. We knew he was he was going to pass. But I got through the summer um, reading romances because they just kind of lifted me out if I started to slip into a dark place. They gave me a chance to escape. And I think that's sometimes one of the greatest gifts we can give people.
0: And I don't think you're alone in that sentiment because I know there are people who like to turn their nose down at, oh, romance books, harlequin yeah. books. But it's mm-hmm. a billion-dollar industry, and it's the most popular genre.
3: Yes, it is. It generates more income, more revenue for publishers and for independent authors than all other genres combined. I think people look down, they think it's lowbrow. It's gotten the term mommy porn attached to it. It's, you know, they say, oh, you write those books. And I'm like, you know, what does that mean exactly? (laughs) I write books that make people happy. You know, just is... Do my books have some, some sexual content in them? Yeah, it does. It, is it obscene? Is it pornography? No, it's not. Um, it's about relationships.
0: And, you know, it's, it's life.
3: It is. And it's- the thing is, is that there's a romance for everybody. There's a romance for somebody who wants that door firmly shut. Um, so you, you don't have sex on the page. There's stuff that's more um, erotic, and for people who, who want that, there are sweet and inspirational romances for people who want to bring faith into it. There's paranormal. There's something for every single person. Um, and it crosses over so many lines. And that's the beautiful thing about it. So, and people forget that. Even Even the most popular mainstream fiction, if you look at it, a lot of times there's a romance embedded into it.
0: You mentioned you started reading them when you were when you were a teenager. Is there a, an age that's appropriate to, to pick up one of these books or it really is as long as you get the content you can you can go with I it? I think
3: it really depends on the reader. What I love now and I'm a high school librarian. Um that's my day job. Um I've been a a teacher for 33 years. So, I'm a high school librarian and the, the amount of really good young adult romance that's out there now is staggering. I wish it was there when I was a kid. Do I think there's an appropriate point? I think it really, like I said, I think it depends on the reader. Everybody has a different maturity level. Um, My mom didn't know I was reading these books. (laughs) (laughs) She would have been scandalized. I always tell everybody, look, you know, if I have a kid that comes and says, um, they're reading such and such. I'm going, really? And they go, yeah, my mom gave it to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. You know, that's great. If you're reading Maya Banks, but your mom handed it off to you, your mom knows you better than I do. And and I'm perfectly okay with that. But there's great YA romance. Um, if I were to recommend, I'd say Nicole Yoon has written some amazing stuff. Um, Simone Elkelis, um, Stephanie Perkins, um, Huntley Fitzpatrick. These are all people who've written Romances, and they might have sex in them, you know, but what I love about good YA romance is that everything is based in emotions. There's nothing gratuitous. There's nothing um, inappropriate. It's emotional, and it shows the emotional growth of the main characters, and that's what you always want to look at. A good romance is going to be grounded in emotion. It's not even even if it's on the more erotic end, there's going to be an emotional connection between the characters. It's not just about, you know, gratuitous sex. And that's the thing that we have to remember.
0: And if it is that, that's pornography.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's the big difference with a romance. If if somebody says, oh, it's porn and I'm going, no, no, it's not. You know, because you don't have you don't have those emotions and the emotions lead to. Um, a greater understanding of each other and to that that happy, happy ending. that That's what we look for.
0: So you mentioned that you are going to work on another Compass Cove book. But yes, when, I am. When you're done with that, are you going to leave it behind and move on to something else, or are you going to stay in that world for a little while? You know, I don't know. Um, I do
3: have some ideas for um, what is really starting to break out now and it's a seasoned romance, and that's romance for characters over 40. Hmm. And I have an idea for a book, and my heroine is 55. So um, I was talking with a couple of people about it, and we had a big, big panel at RWA um, that I was very privileged to be on, and we spoke for over an hour about the viability of seasoned romance and that Over 60% of book buyers are women over the age of 45. And they are not seeing themselves in books. And they want to.
0: It's just like not seeing themselves on TV or in movies.
3: Exactly. And TV and movies are doing better. But books still aren't. And romance definitely skews. We will have people all the time who say, oh, I brought this idea to my editor or my agent, and they went, oh, nobody wants to read about anybody over 35. And I'm going, really? Why? (laughs) Because you know what? We have so much to offer. We, we see things through a very different lens. And I think the readers who are, you know, coming of age, you know, coming to that age, um, they want to see that. They want to see their own life experiences. They want that person who's had a successful career or, you know, and they aren't just defined by their roles anymore. And I think that's the problem is we're often, as women, only defined by our roles as mother, grandmother, um, and, and we get, kind of get boxed in a little bit. And I think uh, romance is about older characters could allow us to break out of that. Um, so I'm excited about pursuing that and seeing where it goes. My characters are always over 30, which kind of bucked the trend for a little bit, a little while. Um, but now I think I'm gonna I'm gonna break that out a bit. I think it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, let's see what happens. Buck the trend again.
3: <laughs> yeah, I love bucking trends. Um, I did it with a. I had a book that came out several years ago. It was called Until You, and my heroine was 40 years old. She was divorced, um, and she got involved in a romance with a 29-year-old hockey player. How nice. So, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun. And and it's one of my most popular books. People love that book. Love, love, love that book. And I still do. I think, I know it's like saying I have a favorite child, but I think it's one of my favorites. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Well, we've been talking with Jeannie Moon. The newest book is All of Me. I hope that people walk away from this interview, that you've opened their minds to what romance is about, what it can be about, and that the next time they come across one, they pick one up. I hope so, too. Now, wasn't that a love fest? I hope you loved it, because next week we go in a completely different direction with a book that's been described as speed meets Hunger Games with a touch of Black Mirror. Until then, show us some love on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.